Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they wind. My name is Richie Rump, and joining me is my co-host, Cecil Phillip. So how are we doing today, Cecil? Doing pretty good, Richie. It's been a long time since we've recorded one of these, man. It feels good to be back on the microphone. Yeah, it does. We've been actually recording quite a bit over the last month or so. So just the editing process and finding time between soccer games and Taekwondo and pandemics and soccer games and, and soccer games and more soccer <laughs> games. <laughs> right. Yeah, life life happens for sure. But I know we have a lot of really cool guests that are coming up. I'm really excited to get those folks out. But like you said, right, ed- editing takes a little time, right? Please bear with us. We'll get it done. We'll get the episodes out. But for, until then, we have this episode that's going to be out. And it, you could enjoy this one. Yeah. And, you know, we don't usually talk about our behind the scenes practices at all. But this episode was literally edited in my car in a parking lot over the course of two <laughs> weeks. Because we can't go onto the field because during the pandemic, it's players only. So I'm in the car with a MacBook Pro and my cans on and editing this thing all scrunched up because I do not have a big car. <laughs> it's a labor of love, people. I don't know, man. Like I can see everyone doing that, right? Like we got to go to the soccer game. We got to go to football practice. We got to go to this thing. But you know what? I still got to get work done at the end of the day. Yep. You know, bring your tablet, bring your phone, bring your whatever. Uh, let's just let's just get it done like in the moment. Yeah, just just so you know, people, I'd rather be watching TikTok, but um, we're doing this for you. <laughs> Speaking of of watching, dude, I am so excited for the MCU to be back. I mean, after what a year of nothing, we finally get MCU property, and WandaVision is everything I've hoped for, and so much more. Yeah, I'm I'm really digging the WandaVision series. The first two, I was like, mm, I'm not sure what's going on here. But as it's gone on, um, and I think at the time that we're recording this, like episode eight is going to come out this week. I yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like mind blown by like how everything is going so far. What I'm enjoying more than this series is watching everyone's theories afterwards. I mean, it is just the internet is just a buzzing <laughs> with with everyone's takes on how this could be or this could happen or who's it, who's it going to be the villain and what and everyone has a theory and i am just so blown away on how everyone is just so taken with this series it is it is fun I and mean, it is just and we just i'm just excited for fridays because we could see the episode and then we could see everyone's take on the episode and what do they think is going to happen in the future and this is what the internet is, is. This is what I'm here for with the internet. <laughs> this is just amazing. You know, I watch these every weekend with my son. And that's actually led to us going back and rewatching some of the old movies. Like yeah. rewatching Age of Ultron and Captain America Civil War. Just to be like, hmm, well, let's go back and look at what happened with this character in this moment. Or like, what's Wanda and Vision's like backstory? Let's go back and like, like remember those and then watch these episodes again, right? Like it's been, it's been a lot of fun for sure. It's, it, it, you know, it, it should tell you, tell you to go kind of go back and read some of the comics. And I'm not going to tell you to do that because some of those old adventure stuff, it's not easy reading, right? I mean, it's, it's, it, it is of that time, but there was a recent one 
and it was in the a comic is called Vision. Read that. I, I remember uh, reading that a few years ago, and that messed with me. <laughs> that that messed with me. There was some things in there that was like, holy crap! Excellent series. You should read that one. Nice, nice. Well, on my side, uh, I've been diving into the Teals program, and I kind of wanted to talk about this because we're all in pandemic. We're all at home. At least we're all supposed to be at home, <laughs> and. But kids still got to go to school, right? And they still got to be able to learn stuff and go to class or whatever. And so we have this program called TEALS. That's this volunteer program where the quote unquote industry experts can go in the classroom and help professors and teachers and whatnot teach computer science classes to students, to high school students. And I, I can tell you, it's, for me, it's been a lot of fun, man. Like I just, I just soak up all that energy from these high school kids just asking questions and trying things out and experimenting and, you know, being able to see like the light bulb turn on, right. It's such an amazing thing. You know, what I definitely recommend folks do if, you know, if you have a Teals in your area, you know, definitely go on, check it out. Um, if your company supports volunteer hours and will, you know, help donate and those types of things, this is a great program to, to support. Again, this is, this is not a profit thing. You don't have to like pay money or anything like that. Um, this is all with public schools. So if you want to help public schools doing computer science education, I definitely recommend you check it out. That's cool, man. That's cool. So who are we talking to today, Cecil? So today we're talking to Dr. Sarah Guthels. So Sarah is a principal program manager at Microsoft and focuses her life on providing access to high quality computer science education to novices of all ages everywhere. With a PhD in computer science from the University of California, San Diego, her passion is to design content and software that focuses on engaging learners. Sarah builds curriculum, teaches teachers, writes books for novices around coding, and is one of the Forbes 30 under 30 in science for her work in computer science education. This episode is recorded on January 14th, 2021, and now our conversation with Dr. Sarah Guthels. And now, away from the keyboard's feature conversation. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Definitely. You know, Richie and I, we've been doing the show for a little while, and every guest that we have on always has such a really unique story, how they got started, what keeps them going. So I'd really love to hear from you, like, what are some of the things that really got you involved in technology in the first place? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when I was like three, <laughs> I decided I was going to be a medical doctor. I like rubbed my mom's wrist that was hurting. And she's like, that feels better. And I'm like, that's it. I'm going to be a medical doctor. Aww. And I spent all of elementary, middle and high school with that one goal. I found a, a letter I wrote to myself when I was like 12 that literally was like, you're going to go to San Diego high school. You're going to go to UC San Diego. You're going to go become a medical doctor. And then you're going to, uh, what was the order? First get a job, then you know, find a partner, then get a house, then have a child. <laughs> um, <laughs> I come from like a, a single, a single parent home. Uh, we were very, very low income when I was little. My mom is an immigrant from South America and just kind of like making it is always what I strived for. And then I got to college and I took an intro to chemistry class and failed <laughs> and was like, I'm not going to be a doctor. Now, you don't, you don't have to like fail. I mean, you, you can fail and still be a doctor. But what I realized was that that route was all about memorization. It's a huge part of the field. 
And I was about problem solving. So without ever having taken a coding class or done more than like check email and maybe make a graph in Excel, I took my first coding class and was lucky enough to have a professor, Dr. Beth Simon, who was also studying how to teach computer science better. And I think that that being my very first experience, even though I had no clue what was happening on most of my assignments, just gave me the determination and the passion and the excitement to, to make it my career. I know so many people in the field and, and so, so many people that have even tried to get into the field that mm. they attribute their success or even lack thereof based on like the professors or the people mm. that taught them in the beginning. And I think having the right person to teach you something is so critical, mm -hmm. right? Like I know someone, so many of my friends from college that they started in computer science and they, they got the wrong professor in the wrong class. Mm -hmm. And they're less like, I'm not doing this. I'm going to go do business or I'm going to go do mm -hmm. biology. I'm going to go do something completely different. But not because they didn't have the passion for it anymore, just because mm -hmm. they, they hit that one person that just didn't give them the information in the way that they needed to get it. Mm -hmm. And it's such a it's such a hard problem I find to solve, right? Like how can we find quality, not just quality instructors, but also give people the options to be able to learn in the way that, you know, is really gonna benefit them. I ended up doing my undergrad in, in computer science. Though I did a few internships, I ended up doing a master's and PhD all at UCSD in computer science focused on education because I agree. I think it's like one of the most important, important pieces. And I remember, you know, a decade ago talking to one of my professors and saying, our intro courses, high school level courses and intro college courses should really be around how to achieve what you want to achieve, how to learn, and how to take out of an experience what you need. I think that first chemistry class is an example. I it, it wasn't that I became no longer passionate about that. It was that I didn't have the right professor. I didn't have the right peers or support. And I realized that though, yes, I could probably do it, it wasn't like worth that if I could find something else, which by the way, I think is totally valid decision to make for anyone. But when I became a, a professor later, that's kind of what I would always tell my students is like, you may have to take a certain course on your journey to being what you want to be and who you want to be. And you may not care about that at all. <laughs> and you just need to recognize, you know, what you need to do in order to pass that course because it's a requirement. And sometimes we can learn something that we take something really great away from it. And sometimes it's just a matter of passing the class to get through it. Right. And I think that that applies even if you're not in some kind of formal education, right? There are just some things that you just have to do and some things that you can gain something from and some things that you have to do and you decide, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm going to slightly adjust my path. And I think all of those decisions and thought processes are, are valid and important. So then with you having that experience you did with that first chemistry class, mm. what exactly turned you from being... Dr. Sarah, the the doctor, the medical doctor, to mm -hmm. Dr. Sarah of technology? Ultimately, it's the same thing that I was seeking when I wanted to be a medical doctor. I have asthma. And when I was a kid, 
we had this amazing asthma doctor and he happened to participate in research studies. So this was like, you know, last phase studies where before Claritin, before Zyrtec were ever even available via prescription, I was taking them as part of these studies and then they became available as prescription and they then now they're over the counter. You know, th- those are allergy medications and and I loved the the idea of there's a problem Let's do trial and error. Let's do the scientific method. Let's problem solve and let's figure out how to solve it. And that's why I wanted to be a medical doctor. I wanted to go into kind of the research side. And what I found when I got to college and and, and started computer science was most of coding is that process. It's the discovery. It's the there's a unique problem, a, a bunch of different ways that we could go about solving it and finding the right way to do it. And then the reason I ended up staying we, that that's going to take us on a slight tangent, but there were many, many, many reasons, which include, number one, I, I had imposter syndrome and felt like I wasn't ready to go out into industry yet. A lot of my peers had been coding in high school or when they were younger, and I didn't discover it until I was 19. And, and so I felt like I wasn't done learning, even though I had an offer. I actually had an offer from Microsoft at the time, but I kind of told myself it was a mistake and I needed to keep learning. And then when I decided to stay for my PhD, it was a combination of I was super passionate about what I was researching. The job that I was offered, again, at Microsoft, it's I was excited about it. I mean, I would tell people about it and I'd get all animated. But when I would tell people about my research, I would physically jump up and down without even realizing it. So that was a huge part of it. And then the other part, which I think often doesn't get talked about, is my then boyfriend, now husband, he was going to stay at that university to do a PhD. At the time, you know, we'd only been dating a few years, but we thought that it was something worth investing in. And he had already been accepted and had decided that. And if I were going to go, go go work for Microsoft, we could do long distance or we could just break up. And, you know, I decided in addition to the fact that I love the research I'm doing, I wanted to stay close to him. And it wasn't just because, you know, he was a dude and I was not. Um, <laughs> it it was just, you know, a combination of a bunch of different decisions. And I think that that often gets missed too, is that every single time you're faced with a professional decision, you have to remember you're a whole person too. It's mm-hmm. It's not just the professional side because ultimately that's not the only thing that matters. And, you know, you're going to stop doing that thing eventually, but you're never going to stop just like being who you are. <laughs> and I can relate to so many of those points that you made because it, for me, it reminds me a little bit of my story mm. as, as someone that's not from this country and has mm-hmm. decided that, hey, I'm going to leave. I'm going to come to the United States to study something that I'm really passionate about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after my undergraduate degree, I was like terrified you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, who's going to hire me? Where am I going to get a visa from? Mm-hmm. You know, I need sponsorship. You know, I'm in Florida right now and I'm getting job offers from other parts of the country. I'm like, mm-hmm. I've never been to Seattle. Like, I've never been to California. Like, I don't know these places and I don't know anyone that lives there. Like, I'm terrified to leave this comfortable place that I'm in right now. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to school. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. Because it, it was like a comfortable place for me and something. It was like an environment that I could control. Yep. And I'm like, I'm just going to stay here and I'm going to figure this out. I think that especially as a woman, especially as people of color, like I said, I'm definitely white passing, but I'm I am Latina, especially as either an immigrant or someone who's a, you know, direct child of an immigrant. I think we often get pushed these narratives that 
you have to keep pushing forward, that you don't let anyone pull you down or hold you back, like go after what you want. And yes, of course, but also it's okay to take a step back and say, actually, I want to do this first, or actually, I'm not ready for that yet. And it's not because I can't do it. I probably could do it. I've done a lot, but also it's okay to stay comfortable for a little while. It's okay to to, to put other things first for a little while. And I think those are the moments where we then discover, you know, we give ourselves the space to kind of discover our, our, our passions and our support and our community and our charter, both personally and professionally. Um, every time I've kind of made that decision, it's ended up in a good way, um, eventually. <laughs> I don't know. I know when I started working too, like even those moments right after I graduated for the last time, hopefully for the last time, because I don't plan on going back <laughs> to school. I always felt like I had to work so much harder just to prove mm-hmm. a point. Mm-hmm. One again, like I want, I wanted them to keep me, right? Quote unquote, yep. keep me, right? Like, like please don't cancel my visa. I need to stay yeah. here. You know, I wanted to prove that. Yeah, I, I, I left home and I could take care of myself. I could pay my own rents and I could yep. do some. I could be a big boy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I could kind of handle, you know, becoming an adult and doing some of those type of things. Mm-hmm. But I, I find too from coming from families that are outside of this country, mm-hmm. like you also have like that push mm-hmm. that you can't you can't just you can't leave and be ordinary. Mm-mm. And not, not that there's anything wrong with being ordinary. No, but for us we can't be that. No, right? Like for our families, don't give us that option. Like you have to do more than just that, right? Yeah, you have to do more than just get by. Your level of success is at such a higher bar that you need to meet. It is. And and I think it's, you know, there's so many like aspects to that that I think about like literally daily. You know, I think one of it is I remember because I experienced it and then also through my mom's experiences, what it's like to just have nothing, like literally nothing. I am still to this day terrified that that can be possible in my life again. And I mean, it can, but it, it's, it's, it's unlikely right now considering how much work i've put in into into not just my professional life but my community and 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 things like that and and yet i am still terrified that if i if i let off the gas a little bit it's it's all going to come crumbling down and i think that that fear is is not great i think there's a sense of pride that's another aspect to it you decided that you were going to do something you did it and and you you need to keep doing that um and it's a pride for your not only you but your family and in your community. And then I think it's also just a sense of responsibility. I mean, my grandpa and my mom, those are the only two people who came to the States. They're still here. And just last month, I was able to have them move in with me. You know, I finally made it to have enough space and enough money to be able to essentially support them. And they cannot afford to retire. My mom ended up becoming a, a, a school teacher, but happened late in life. And, you know, at this point, she couldn't afford to retire. And because, you know, I worked so hard, I was able to then help them again and, and to have them fly up from from San Diego up to Washington State and walk off the plane and have my mom tell me for the first time in her life, she's able to sleep without the the meds she takes to be able to sleep. It's just like, life changing for for the family you know and i think that again there's a responsibility a pride and also a, a pressure and a fear um, that all plays a role into it 
it's it's interesting to think about. <laughs> right. And that's such an amazing thing that you're able to give back to your family. Because there's always a, that sense of pride. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I, I've done this. I've, I've got my degree. I've gotten a job. I'm working. But not mm-hmm. only am I able to take care of myself, I could start taking care of some of the folks that used to take care of you and me when we were younger. And it's hard. It's hard because throughout my career, I've wanted to step in in a bigger way to help my family earlier. But had I done that, I would not be in the place that I am now to be able to help them fully. And it was a moment like every single like year of my life, I was thinking, should I be doing more for my family now or should I focus so that I can get to a place where I can do it all for them, you know, in, in a sense. And there's no right answer at all. At um, Every circumstance is going to be different and, and every family and every job, et cetera. But I am so grateful that the path lended, you know, ended here or, you know, at least started here, restarted here. I don't know what the right word is. <laughs> right, right. You know, you know what I love about this conversation is mm-hmm. that I, li- I live in Miami. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an immigrant city. Everyone mm-hmm. has an immigrant uh, story. My wife is first generation Cuban American. Mm-hmm. Her parents came over in the 60s on like one of the last flights out from Cuba after wow. Castro came in. Mm-hmm. And yet I see all, you know, all these immigrant stories. I don't have the pressure from family to to be the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't have any of these uh, immigrant pressures, but I'm just floored on how we don't hear the struggles. Mm-hmm. And 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 getting these stories out, um, I think will will help heal, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, what what we've kind of gone through collectively as as a country. I think it's it's interesting. Like I I know that I still struggle with imposter syndrome every every single day. And if if you're listening and don't know what it is, it's basically that you're an imposter, and and some at any given moment they're going to find out you don't belong. And then something bad will happen. Like, I don't know what that bad thing is, but uh, they're going to come arrest me or like, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I have this fear that I'm going to be found out and I'm going to be gone. Um, yeah. And in addition to to that and, and kind of what you were saying, Cecil, of like constantly needing to, to prove that you belong um, and that fear of potentially not at some point, I think what we often need to realize is that Folks from different walks of life, whether you're an immigrant or like you said, you know, darker skin or, or whatever it is, there's, there's bias for a lot of people or, you know, against a lot of people. And the amount of effort that marginalized groups, particularly in tech, because that's what I can speak to, need to put in just to get to that lower bar <laughs> that a lot of other people get to just have Mm-hmm. Um, I think should be recognized, you know, and I, I think that those are efforts such as I, I often feel very uncomfortable with the whole like PhD and doctor thing. And I say it for a, a number of reasons. Uh, one is to kind of remind myself, but but more importantly, to to show other people that, you know, we exist. But I actually wasn't super comfortable with it until uh, a colleague of ours, Scott Hanselman, would just casually without even like telling me or asking me introduce me every single time to whoever it was as Dr. Sarah. I you know we talked about it later and and he was mentioning how that he he does that because he wants to help support and promote who I am and and dispel biases that'll automatically come the second I come into a room looking younger as a woman and to help kind of counteract those. 
So, you know, not only is there kind of the explicit biases that we face often, but also things like when, you know, when I was working at GitHub and there was some controversy around around ICE and the the fear that my grandpa, even though he's a citizen, even though he came here legally, even though, you know, he's been here for 50 years, the fear that he would walk out in downtown San Diego and speak Spanish and something bad would happen. Yep. And and that was coming from a super privileged place because he is here legally for 50 years and does speak English and, you know, and, and, and yet I was still just terrified. And the fact that I had to just go to work and like have meetings about tech debt, like it was just, so it's not just kind of the explicit like, oh, you know, people call my work cute versus like impressive or something, right? It's it's also just the weight that you feel when other things completely unrelated are happening in the world and not completely unrelated, but unrelated to your explicit job task is happening and 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 how how that's weighing on you. That's something that I, I know for a lot of us, especially right now, is is very difficult. And I'm very grateful that where I'm working now gives us the the leeway to take breaks. But I feel very, very, very privileged and grateful for that. But it's still just completely jarring and and exhausting all the time. All of us on this this podcast right now have kids. Mm. And I'm kind of curious to hear, how do you talk to your children about some of these biases, some of these struggles, you know, some of these types of things that we have to go through, not even Mm -hmm. at work, but just on a day-to-day basis? I have a three-year-old. I have a three-year-old daughter. Her name is Ayla. And I talk to her just like she was an adult, but obviously using language that is appropriate for her. So earlier this year, when there were just countless murders of black Americans, we had conversations. And I, like I said, here is a picture. Do you see this person? This is a kind person who is not doing anything wrong. And I didn't show her the other pictures, but I would say, you know, um, some other people got guns and hurt them for no reason other than to be mean. We talked about it. And when Biden was, was confirmed after, you know, events, I sat down and I said, guess what? We have a new president. A president is a person who, who helps lead our, our country and our people. Um, we got rid of the president who wanted to continue to hurt bad people, you know, or sorry, continue to hurt good people. And, you know, just very, very explicit about it. She she recalls things like that. Uh, yesterday, actually, we just had our first conversation, or maybe it was two days ago, around pronouns. She hadn't fully grasped just using them in conversation yet at all. But she started to say things like she referring to me and her and he referring to to her dad and then also appropriately using them referring to our, our animals. And so I taught her the word pronouns and I said, you know, you could be he, you could be she, you could be they, you could be something else that you decide that is up to you. And she said, oh, my pronoun is she, you know, and, and then she like asked her dad what his pronoun was. And and then she's also, you know, because she's three, discovering body parts and we use vagina and penis. And we, I explicitly said to her, you can have a vagina and you can have a penis and that is independent of he, she, they, or, or whatever pronoun that you, you choose to use for yourself. The nuances of gender and, and, and sexuality and things like that are, you know, she, we can't just have like this 
you know, high level conversation about it at any given moment where that, you know, the topic is already coming up. I just say it exactly, exactly as I would talk to a friend about it in terms of, of kind of what I'm saying and, and continuously try to reinforce that. And I'm grateful that we have a lot of friends in our lives that also do the same. And as simple as, as our neighbor's son dressing up in princess dresses with Ayla, because who doesn't want to be Elsa? Um, <laughs> that's awesome, you know, and there's nothing there's, it's not talked about it because it's just, let's live, you know? And so we're, we're very thoughtful about kind of the words we use. And I'm grateful that I have the language and examples to be able to, to communicate that with her. And, and we can talk about things that are, that I didn't learn until much later. Team Sven, baby. Team Sven. <laughs> Sven is pretty amazing. Yes. <laughs> I know for for our house, like there's always questions. Right? Mm-hmm. So my, my son is eight years old. So mm-hmm. he's he's super curious and there's a lot of whys, right? Like why this mm-hmm. and why that? And why is there a curfew? Why do we have to stay home and not go outside? Mm-hmm. Why can't we go to the beach? Why can't we do this and that? Like I'll be lying to you if I said that I wasn't absolutely terrified mm-hmm. um, for him. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I'm terrified today, but I try to be hopeful for tomorrow, I guess, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, so with all the questions, you try to just be, I try to be very non-biased mm-hmm. when it comes to just society and some of the, some of the more aggressive things that are happening. Mm-hmm. But also just try to reassure him. And also we just, as parents, we want to teach them better. Mm-hmm. Right, kind of like what you're doing with your daughter, right? And mm-hmm. and from the beginning, just encouraging better habits. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I like we want our kids to be better than what we are today. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like I think I think I think things are a little rough right now. But you yeah. know, when I when I when I go to my son's class, when I see the kids talking and interacting and playing, mm. and I'm like, you know, things are so good right now yeah. for them and in that space. You know, at what point in time does it turn to something else? And yep. what can we do as parents to make sure that it never gets to that place? It's so hard. Because like you said, you know, you don't necessarily want to instill the fear and and, and, and worry and anxiety when when they are still able to play and, and have fun. And But at the same time, you don't want it to be like this big surprise and you don't want to, you know, lie. It's I, I, I don't think that there's a right answer. And I think every parent and child and situation is going to be very unique. But yeah, it's hard. So I'm also curious, now that everyone's at home, you know, we're still under a pandemic and we should be staying at home and everyone should be wearing a mask. Yes. Should. Should. Should be. Should. You know, bolded, should be. But no, the world is different, right? Like our kids Mm -hmm. are home all the time. You know, school is online, school is virtual. How has it been for you, I guess, change your lifestyle now and adapt to that? Like adapt to being not just a mom when you're at home, mm-hmm. so to speak, but like a mom 24 hours a day because your your child, your family, like everyone is at home all the time. I think my situation is somewhat unique. I've been a remote employee for five years now. So for Ayla's entire life, I've been at home. And actually right now, I've had to come into the completely empty office wearing a mask, you know, a few times a week because unfortunately... 
since my job role changed to doing more streaming and, and things like that, the internet that I have at my house is not sustainable enough for like a live stream, especially when there's any kind of weather, um, which especially as we're entering winter, it, it happens. So I've actually had to leave the house more in, in recent months than I than I did in the past. Being a mother, being a parent is something that I have wanted to do my entire life. And it's because I have this huge passion for learning and not just intelligence learning, but emotional intelligence learning and child development and human development. And it is the thing that I am most excited about in anything that I do and especially as as a parent. And that doesn't mean I'm, I'm always with my child. I think that I would be winning if I wasn't there. You know what I mean? Like if she could, if she could do things without me, that that's kind of the goal. So it's been hard, I think, this year because we ended up losing childcare. And so prior to this year, when I was a remote employee, we had a, a full-time nanny and we thought similarly around child development and I trusted her. And so she would take her out. They would do, you know, activities at museums and things like that. Um, or they would just be learning things at home and playing and things like that. And I could kind of come out and give a kiss and go back to work. When we moved up to Washington State, we ended up losing childcare and right when the pandemic started. And so my husband and I had to split days and I I became like no longer a person because I was either working or trying to take care of, of Ayla and be present. And it's been exhausting and horrible. And that was part of moving my mom and grandpa up is now my mom gets to be our full-time childcare um, and since my mom has a, a background in education, I think I have more trust around the situation because I know that Ayla is playing and engaging and learning. And, and you know, if I tell my mom I don't like something, she she is respectful that I am a parent and um, I respect her. And and I think I, I, I lucked into a really, really pleasant situation. And I also am not sure if I'm going to be sending Ayla to a traditional school there are many, many, many reasons about that. But part of moving to a remote location, even prior to pandemic, was the thought that, you know, we would do some non-traditional schooling with her. And we're lucky that she's, you know, she's only three. So while she does benefit from playing with peers, it's not as, I think, jarring for her because prior to moving up here, playing with peers really was just like a one-on-one -on -one play date or going to like a museum. And so it wasn't like a every day you're with a group of other kids. So I think we're we're particularly lucky in our situation um, to have the support we have and that it didn't necessarily change a lot of the way we do things other than she can't do them with other kids. But luckily my mom and I are basically big kids. So we get on the ground and when she says the floor is lava, the whole family jumps up on furniture and, <laughs> you know, so, nice. um, and we also just have tons of pets. So... <laughs> Abuelas are the best. Abuelas are the best. Yeah, <laughs> they are. They are. And Rishi, you, you've you been homeschooling long before the pandemic. Uh, we are in our 12th year, something mm -hmm. like that. It's been a long time, yeah. Yeah. So do you feel like this situation has changed, like your day-to-day -day and your, you know, your work floor at home or no? So day-to-day, -day, no. But what has changed is the mental stress of everything, right? Mm -hmm. So our our youngest, she's a soccer player and a very good soccer player as well. So she's mm -hmm. used to traveling and doing a just a ton of 
uh, stuff with her team, and that hasn't happened. But at least she's out on the field and socializing that way. But my oldest, who's 15 and is is entering that teenage phase, she hasn't been out socializing. She's mm-hmm. been hiding here in the house. Literally, she didn't go outside for at least nine months. Recently, we've noticed, hey, you've you're getting angry. You're you're raging. Why don't we have you talk to a counselor? Mm-hmm. And we could just do a remote. You don't have to worry about masks or going into a, an office and enclosed space. It just you need to talk to someone, and because you're you're showing signs for to us that you you're not being able to handle this stuff, which is totally cool, which yeah. is totally fine. She, I think she has her first appointment today. I think it's, I think it's on my calendar. Awesome. Um, but you know, we've been noting those signs for for a while now, and we just want to make sure that. She's mm-hmm. going to be okay because she hasn't had that communication with her peers that, mm-hmm. that she would normally get three, four times a, a week going to drama or going to this or going to that. So, you know, from a day-to-day perspective, yeah, it's been normal, but we all know it's not normal. Right. It's it's, it's not. And we're, we're all just trying to do the best we can and trying to hit that drum of do daily studies and this and, and that. But there's nothing normal about what we've been going through for almost the last 10 months. You just mentioned something, and and it's something that I am so grateful of being a parent like today and, and with who I am today versus kind of any other time is that like the fact that you said it's normal, it's okay to not be okay with what's happening, but let's find someone that that can kind of help you. You know, I've actually always been a a huge advocate of therapy. And my plan is when I feel and I don't know when this will be, but you know, that Ayla is is old enough to understand I, I want her to start seeing a therapist, just so that she has a professional person to talk to that isn't a family member or parent. And, And that way, even if there's nothing wrong, if something does come up, she already has someone she can trust to talk to about it. And hopefully she'll also trust me or my husband or my mom or or whoever, but you know, just just having that. And while she's still too young to do that right now, I, I struggle with with ADHD and and I was recently diagnosed. And so I'm learning a lot of like symptoms and causes and effects of everything. And and I'm pretty sure she has it as well. Though I think she's way too young to diagnose and a diagnosis isn't really necessary and it's also just toddlerhood. But it's really neat because we can kind of talk about those situations. And just last night, she was just overwhelmed and having this like a moment of, of frustration. And she was able to say, like, can I just have a piece of chocolate, please? Like, it's just going to – and she wasn't even trying to, like, sneak candy. She is very direct about when she wants candy. Like, and it's pretty much always available because we just tell her, well, you know – it's going to hurt your stomach. And she's like, oh, never mind. I'll have a carrot. You know, so like we try to, to to kind of balance that a little bit. So she wasn't even, it wasn't like throwing a tantrum to get candy. It was very, two very different situations. She was upset and she was like, I think chocolate will help me feel better. And I'm like, girl, I feel you. I feel you <laughs> like that happens. But then she grabbed the chocolate and it was broken and it was the last piece. And that just threw her through the roof. Right. And Prior to me having the opportunity to really think about my ADHD and how moments like that happen to me were literally like I'm just walking and then my shoe is untied and I just start crying. It's like your shoe, like 
your shoes untied. It's fine. But I'm like, no, I'm not fine. Like, this is all too much. And like, I can't deal with like my shoe and I'm holding things and now it's dirty and I can't deal with clean. And, you know, I just kind of go off on this huge, the world is ending thing. And so for me to just be able to tell her like, yeah, that's frustrating. You know, all you wanted to do was have a piece of chocolate to make yourself feel better. And it was broken. And that sucks. And then she took a second and said, oh, that's okay. I could just get a different one. And then she just got, you know, a different, a different chocolate completely that was not the same type, but, you know, a different one. And, and I think it's like those moments in parenting where not only can you help your children acknowledge that, you know, feelings and emotions and, and what they're going through is okay. And not only can you help them understand strategies to get through them that you don't have to just stay angry or upset, but also the daily reminders I get <laughs> that it is okay <laughs> to get upset and that you can feel that in a moment and then you can take a breath and then you can find the next step to do, you know? And I think those daily things when, when we're helping children, I think even if we don't realize it are helping us too. <laughs> yeah. You said something a little bit earlier that I, I did want to circle back around to, and that was about emotional intelligence. And in, in this moment that we're in right now, like everyone across the world, I feel like we're being tested to our yeah. limits. When we're it failing. Comes to, we are definitely failing. And we're failing. Yeah, a lot of us <laughs> are failing. But we're being tested and pushed to our limits when it just comes to to really just recognizing that we're not okay. Yep. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, this, the stock market and housing prices and mm. school. And, and I get it. Like that's important to an extent. Mm -hmm. But then what about us as people, mm -hmm. right? And like you mentioned, like, what about your daughter and your family and your your parents and all of the people mm -hmm. that are around you that you care about? You know, like, we're, we're all not okay, right? We're all probably super tense and afraid mm -hmm. and just not knowing what tomorrow is going to look like. And it's a hard situation for all of us to be in. You know, mm -hmm. I'm curious on how we as the United States, as Americans, how we're going to react in two, three, four, ten years to this sheer trauma of the last, you know, year or even two, or whatever this year is going to end up being, because it's, it's just been a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just been a lot. There was a great... I, I watch way too much TikTok, but there was a great sketch. There's no such thing. There's, there's no such thing. You need to forgive yourself. It's okay. <laughs> um, there was this great sketch on it that was talking about each generation and and how they would share their feelings with their parents and how their parents in that typical generation would react. And it was like, you know, uh, Gen X with the great generation uh, and um, uh, millennials with the boomers and Gen Z with the Gen Xers and like all of that kind of stuff. And I think that the generational stereotypes, it, when you really look at them, it is just so fascinating. And one, one thing that I recently heard um, as kind of like an analysis of Gen Z versus millennials was the the fact that it was kind of like joking, like, why are millennials always so, you know, so passionate about the 90s and like nostalgia and their their childhood? And Gen Z's like, boomers don't get it and Gen Z doesn't get it. And we're just kind of like, and, you know, Gen X is that kind of like awkward middle generation. But Gen X is also like, what are you, you know, doing? And it's this weird thing that millennials were, were kind of these generation where we had a childhood, like a true childhood. 
And then everything went crazy. Yeah. But there were a few years where we had a childhood and Gen Z never did. And and I think about that with Ayla, who's Gen A, <laughs> right? Like what is going to be that generational trauma and you know, yeah. What what is yeah. it going to be? Yeah, there, there's 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 a cost, right? Yeah. I mean, there there was a cost for uh, the trauma of slavery and yeah. us having not never having to deal with that, or at least attempting to deal with that, and then just kind of giving up. Mm-hmm. Um, there there's a cost to to all of the trauma that we go through as society, either whether we acknowledge it or not. And you know, what is going to be our cost for you know not handling this pandemic in the way we should have? And in addition to all the other stuff that we've mm-hmm. had to deal with, I mean, is Billy Joel going to have to make another song now? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Harry Truman, Doris Day. The cost of, you know, me as a millennial, my gen, you know, my traumas when I was younger and how that affects Ayla's now trauma. You know what I mean? Like not just the traumas of the moment, but also of the of the previous generations and how they parent and how they grandparent and whether the grandparents are even there and you know just kind of things like that. I think is just so it, it'll it will be definitely very interesting. Yeah, yeah. What's the old curse? May you live in interesting times. <laughs> yeah, we're we're there. Yeah, it's it's crazy, but. I mean, all we can do is really hope for the best, right? Like whatever we do today, we just we just have to make sure that whatever we do today is better than what we did yesterday. So Sarah, do you have any anything that you're working on, shows that you're doing, projects that you're working on, anything that you want to tell folks about in, you know, different ways that they can reach out to you? Yeah. Um, the best way is gonna be on Twitter at Dr. Guthels. Um, you can find me. G U T H A L S. It's a awkward last name, but uh, I am, I'm, I, I have a show that I do with, uh, with Microsoft called learn with Dr. G and it's live streams and, and pre-recorded episodes all around kind of introductions to various tech areas, particularly with like data science and machine learning, but also other things. Um, so if you're brand new, uh, to either the, in, like the area of data science and, and machine learning or brand new to tech, it's for you. And uh, I am also going to start doing more things. So I plan on doing some live streams in Spanish. Right now I have them planned for Fridays, but I haven't fully started yet. And I just tweeted out a couple days ago if if folks have like very simple questions, like one minute answer type questions. Um, I'm going to start doing some short form videos as well. Um, so if you want to know about it, just follow me on Twitter at Dr. Guthels. Yeah, that kind of stuff will will be out there. And haven't you done some work with like NASA and with the new Space Jam movie yes, too? Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, I've gotten the chance to work with um, uh, a few different movie studios and with NASA to build some lessons around learning data science and machine learning or just basic by- Python coding uh, with the themes of uh, different films like Space Jam A New Legacy, which is coming out later this year in 2021. Um uh, or with just themes around like space exploration. So uh, a lot of those videos are at uh, aka.ms slash learn with Dr. G. Um, and I often will tweet about them. And and so my live streams and pre-recorded episodes often go through them. Uh, but you can find them. Uh, let's see. What's, what's the, I don't even know. There's not really one place to go. But if you go to, to Microsoft Learn, docs.microsoft.com slash learn, uh, you can search for um, NASA or space or things like that, and they they should come up. 
Awesome. And now, Sarah, I got one question I got to ask you. Okay. We ask all of our guests this. All right. And that is, what do you do when you are away from the keyboard? Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's a hard one. Um, right now, it's it's play with Ayla. It's it's play, pretend, uh, make things. I got a cricket machine, uh, a sewing machine. I am not a crafty person, but I like trying. Um, I like just going outside and looking at the river and just breathing in fresh air, um, watching TikTok. <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, I, I don't know if that's technically away from the keyboard because you know I'm, I'm looking at my screen, but uh, watching TikTok, listening to audiobooks. Yeah, anything that just kind of promotes creativity. We'd like to thank Dr. Sarah for being a guest on our show. It was great to have the opportunity to chat with her. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Also remember to check us out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast and on our Twitter at podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Joris and Cecil at Cecil Phillip. You can subscribe to the show via the website, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, or on iTunes. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have another great guest, April Spate. I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be great. Actually, we do know what we're going to talk about, and it is great. Yeah, but I just like the rhyme, though. It's pretty cool. Okay, yeah. No, but you know what? It's a great... Come, just come back. Just just come back. It, it's going to be... It's fun. It's, <laughs> it's going to be good. Time. I love the combo. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Peace. to thank you for listening to away from the keyboard as a reminder we will have new episodes each and every week you can interact with us on twitter at aftk podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com hasta luego Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And that's about it. Yeah. Anyway, Sarah, it's been so great to talk to you. I think this has been for me a very, a very therapeutic conversation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some quality it's, time with the doc, you know. Yep. <laughs> exactly. But I might need to put something on your calendar. We might need to make this right. Can, sure. can I tell you my, my favorite part about all this is how we just so ca- you casually just drop Scott Hanselman's name just right in there. <laughs> like, no, no big deal. You know, you know, my colleague, Scott Hanselman. No worries. <laughs> he's just a, he's a great person. <laughs> he, he's, a, he's a lesser Scott. Don't worry about him. <laughs> you know what's actually funny about Scott's? I just gonna tell this quick anecdote. So my uh, my biological dad's name is is David Scott, middle name Scott. My uh, stepdad, who essentially raised me, his name is Scott first name um my mom had a a a a fiance whose name was glenn scott middle name scott um my coach in high school for cross country who became kind like i ended up babysitting his children him and his wife ended up buying my prom dress scott um (laughs) i have 
way too many Scots in my life, <laughs> but they're all great people, to be honest. They really are. But like, oh my goodness, the number of Scots in my life is just too many. <laughs> Michael Scott from The Office. You know, Michael there's Scott. so many. <laughs> oh man, which I basically, um, I remember when I was doing my startup, I, I was like, I, I came out one day and I was like, oh gosh, y'all, I just realized. And they were like, what? And I was like, I'm Michael Scott. And they were like, yeah, we know. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Not as inappropriate, <laughs> Not as... to be fair, but just awkward as awkward. That, that's what she said. Um... <laughs> Damn it. Oh, uh, man. No, but it's all good. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Well, hey, Sarah, thank you again so much for being on the show. And um, thank all of you for listening. And this has been another episode of Away from the Keyboard. Okay. Are we done? Awesome. Yeah. Yay, we're done. <laughs> yeah, so so at what point will we only write Python to write JavaScript code? Because I think it's coming pretty soon. You can do that now, can't you? Yeah, but I mean only. like, like oh. That's the only thing that you would do. You know, I, I never engage in language debates only because I think there's always going to be a reason for something. And when there isn't a reason, then it will just not be there. I don't know. It's like... I'm sure there's going to be a reason to write JavaScript code. I don't know. There's never a reason to write Fortran. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unless, unless there's an old system that you don't want to rewrite. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Hey, I didn't say it was a good reason. (laughs) Nope. But (laughs) bad reasons are still reasons. I reject your mainframe-ism. Was it last year around this time? Was it last year, 2019, where people were looking for COBOL? developers yes 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 that was hilarious yes i mean it's well, but that's what i mean you know well well that yeah it's because our our government hasn't caught up with the modern times and uh, what they were doing all sorts of um that was the the, the payroll insurance right mm-hmm. they were doing all the unemployment insurance stuff in cobol which reminds me which is relevant i had a cobol professor once tell one of my uh classmates who just happened to be Black from the Caribbean, Cecil, uh-huh. told oh, really? her that you should find another major because you're not cut out for what? yes, you know, for it wasn't even I wasn't even computer science at the time. I was in CIS and School of Business, wow. so you're not cut out for this. Yeah, there's she, so much of that 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 goes on, man. And um. and and later, she was one of the. I think she was the only one of our class I got hired for a, a, a big six firm, well, big six at the time. But yeah, and she got you know, the, the huge salary and all that stuff. And I'm like, that's crazy. Got that one wrong. didn't you white guy? <laughs> but that's so what I'm saying, right? it, it is always, it is such, it's so important to have like the right person teach you the thing. Seriously. You know what I mean? Because that person like make them can make a break like the rest of your life. Seriously. It's true. Either person teaching or, or at least if not that, you know, like a, a, a community around you because yeah. even if you have like a horrible professor, if everyone in the class is like, yeah, this professor is horrible, but we can get through it together, then, you know, you might be able to get through it together. But yeah, it, it yeah. you, it, you need people. You need people. You do. People need people, man. Go figure. Right. Who would have thought? But six feet apart with a mask, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Definitely with a mask on for sure. Oh, <sighs> Cool, man. Well, Sarah, we're gonna um, so we're gonna work. We're gonna edit this. Awesome. Um, I'm guessing 
I, actually, I don't know when we're going to finish editing this because editing takes a long time. <laughs> but we'll we'll definitely. My, my big question is, what do I cut? Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? This is so great. This <laughs> is like one of my favorite line. conversations we've done. It's Just like let... four years of this stuff, and it's like, wow, this is ah. I'm I'm the writing notes. I'm like, oh, I can't keep that. I keep that. <laughs> you can't cut anything, man. We got to keep the whole thing. Jeez. <laughs>